All right, family, if you got your Bible, open to Revelation 21. And we're finally getting to the part of Revelation that I've been looking forward to the most out of anything. We finally get to see what we have to look forward to in heaven. And that's really good because I talk to a lot of Christians who aren't that sure that they're excited about heaven. Just aren't very sure what we have to look forward to in heaven. We joke about heaven. Like, I heard a joke a long time ago about three guys who die and go to heaven, and of course, at the pearly gates, who's there? St. Peter, he's always at the gate in these jokes, right? So St. Peter meets them at the gate, and he says, hey guys, welcome to heaven, but you know, I, I know you're forgiven, that's why you're here, but I've just got one question for you, and your answer to this question will determine what kind of car you get to drive around in heaven. So the first guy comes up, and Peter says to him, hey, welcome to heaven, how long were you married? The guy says, seven years. And Peter says, okay, great. Uh, did you ever cheat on your wife? And the guy says, oh, yeah, seven times. Peter says, oh. The guy says, wait, wait, I thought I was forgiven. Peter says, yeah, 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 you're forgiven. But seven times in seven years, really? Uh, all right, here's a Nissan. Have fun with that Nissan, driving around heaven. The second guy comes up to Peter. And Peter asks him, okay, how long were you married? The guy says, 24 years. And Peter says, okay, did you cheat on your wife? The guy says, only once. And it was the very first year, and then we worked it out after that. We were all good after that. Peter's like, all right, like to hear it. Here's a Tesla. Enjoy your Tesla rolling around heaven. Third guy comes up to Peter. He's like, I already know what you're going to ask me. Peter, I was married 54 years, and I never cheated once on my wife. I never even looked at another woman. I treated my wife, my wife like a queen. Peter says, that's what I like to hear. Here's the keys to a new Lamborghini. Enjoy yourself. So they take off into heaven. The guy with the Tesla and the guy with the Nissan are having coffee one day. And they look and they see the guy who got the Lambo sitting on the golden sidewalk and he's crying. And they go up to him and they're like, well, what, what's the matter? Bro, what, what's happening? You, you got a Lambo. What's the matter? The guy looks up and he says, I just saw my wife. She was on a skateboard. <laughs> yeah, we tell jokes like that because we're not so sure that heaven is all that it's cracked up to be, right? We're not really sure that we're going to enjoy heaven as much as we're promised we will. We hear Jesus say things like, I'm going away, I'm going to prepare a room for you, and inside we're going, oh, room. Is that like studio apartment? What do I have that I'm looking forward to in heaven here? We hear things like, yeah, you'll worship forever and ever, and we're inside we're going, wait, 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 a worship service nonstop forever and ever? I'm not sure I'm totally excited about that. We don't usually like to think about our eternity in heaven. If you're in your teens or your 20s, you're not thinking about your eternity in heaven. You're not thinking about your future in heaven, you're, you're thinking about your future here on earth, right? That's what all your time is spent thinking about. You're thinking about career, money, maybe marriage and kids. That's your teens and 20s. Then you get into your 30s and 40s, and maybe you got the career and the kids, and you're not thinking about your future. All you can think about is keeping your head above water in the present, just what's going on right now. Then you get into your 50s and 60s and 70s, and you're not thinking about tomorrow so much because you realize there's not many tomorrows left in life, 
And so you start thinking about your yesterdays more. Like, that's me. I'm turning 50 this year. And I've noticed that recently I've started listening to the 80s radio station a lot. I never did that before. Why is that? That's what we do. We think about our past, present, and future here on earth a lot more than we think about our future in heaven. But the Bible talks about heaven 500 times, more than 500 times. Jesus talks about heaven 70 times, and that's in the book of Matthew alone. So why is heaven so important? Why do we need to think about our future in eternity? Here's why. Because our vision for the future determines how we live our lives in the present. Whether we know it or not, whatever you think your life will be like tomorrow, you subconsciously start living that out today. Whatever your vision is for the future, that shapes your priorities for today. It changes how you spend your time today. It changes how you spend your money today. It changes what you get excited about today. It changes what you get worried about today. Whatever it is that you think about the future changes how you live in the present. So you got to get your future straight. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, your future is really, really bright. That's what we're going to see today in Revelation. So let's pray, then we'll dig into this incredible text. Father, thank you so much for this future that we have to look forward to. I know most of us are nervous about that future. We're not sure we want to look forward to it because most of us live pretty well in the present. Help us to see how much better it'll be when we see Jesus face to face. When we live with him and enjoy him face to face forever. Help us to see the incredible things that we have to look forward to so that that'll change the way we live our lives right now. Thank you for all we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So last week we saw Judgment Day in Revelation 20. It said anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It was terrible, terrible news, sobering news. But then John flips the script. And he wants to show us what's coming for the people who are in the book of life. The people who've put their trust in Jesus as their savior and their king. This right here, Revelation 21, it's one of the most encouraging chapters you'll find in the whole Bible. Let's go. Revelation 21, right at the beginning. Verse one, John says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They'll be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and he'll be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. You ever experienced that before? The previous things passed away. Have you ever had that moment in life when you were like, man, there was life before this moment, now there's going to be life after this moment. The previous things have passed away. 9-11 was kind of like that. Lockdown was kind of like that. We've experienced some kind of earth-shattering events in our lifetimes, but those events 
That's just a small taste of what's coming. John says the first earth will pass away. Now, what that doesn't mean is that this earth will be destroyed and replaced. What that means is this earth will be completely transformed. In Ezekiel 36, it says this land that was desolate will become like the Garden of Eden. This land, the land that you're standing on, sitting on right now, this desolate land will become like the Garden of Eden. God's going to transform this earth to be what it was always meant to be. But then, if you noticed in here, you might have seen a little snippet of a sentence that was kind of concerning to you, because John says, the sea was no more. And that little snippet right there, that's made a lot of folks in Hawaii really nervous, right? Because a lot of folks are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, like no surf in heaven, no dive, no fish, no, no, no paddle in heaven. Don't worry, that's not what it's saying. You, you got to remember that in the ancient world, the ocean wasn't a playground like it is for us today. The ocean was a death trap. The ocean was where storms spring up and sink you. The, the ocean was where monsters come up out of the deep and devour you. Okay, the ocean was a place of chaos and evil in the ancient world. But all that's going to be gone in the new heaven and the new earth. No more chaos. No more evil. No more confusion. No more fear. No more anxiety. Heaven is a refuge from all of that. You're going to feel secure just like you do at home. And that's the first thing we got to realize about heaven. Number one, it's a home. It's a refuge from all the chaos and confusion and conflict that we experience today. It's a safe place. It's a warm place. It's a comforting place. Like, like I said in verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Yeah, we're going to be safe in heaven, secure in heaven. We're going to rest in heaven. Rest from all the stress and anxiety and depression and conflict and confusion and tiredness and tediousness that we experience right now. Hebrews 4 says that there will be a Sabbath rest for God's people. A Sabbath rest. We're not going to have to work to survive anymore. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Taking time to recognize that God provides everything. We're not going to have to work to succeed anymore. We're not going to have to work to impress other people anymore. We're finally going to learn how to be content. Why? Because God's going to be with us. It says in verse 3, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. He'll live with you. The best person in the universe is going to move in with you. Think about that. Think about your favorite person in the world. Who is your favorite human on planet Earth? Just the person who is the most encouraging, uplifting person to you. Get that person's face in your mind. Now, imagine that that person has the power to change everything in the world. That's God. He's the most positive, uplifting, encouraging person in the universe, and he has the power to change everything in the universe. And he's moving in with you. John said it. God will be with us, and we will be his people. Well, actually, no. 
He didn't say that, at least not in the CSB translation. Did you notice that? It says in verse 3, they will be his peoples. Plural. Yeah, that's, that's literal Greek. He's talking about different people groups here. Different races and cultures and languages and backgrounds. So here's one more thing we got to realize about heaven. Number two, and this is the best image I could come up with, it's a poke bowl, all right? Not a melting pot where everything just kind of blends together. It's a poke bowl where you got your ahi and your nori and your onions and your shoyu and your rice, and they don't just bleh together. They're mixed together even though they retain their individuality. That's what life is going to be like in heaven. We're not going to lose our race, our culture, our background, our language. We're still going to be distinct but will be tossed together in this poke bowl to make something better than the sum of its parts. All of our differences will be celebrated in heaven. I don't know, maybe you think you're above differences. Maybe you think you're above race. You're like, man, I'm colorblind. I, I don't even see race. You know what God says to that? That's a bummer. Because I see race and I celebrate it. I created race, culture, language. And so, yeah, there's parts of every culture that have been distorted from God's design, and so they need to be redeemed. But there's also parts of every culture that reflect the image of God, and they need to be celebrated. And that's what we're going to be doing in heaven forever, in, in the holy city, this city that makes up heaven. That's another image that you see over and over again in Scripture. That's one more thing we need to see about heaven. Number three, it's a city. It's a city. Now, I know you guys who live windward side, that makes you a little nervous, right? Because there's a reason you don't live in the city. I know, I lived windward side for six years, and I know how it feels. You, you come over the Kotalaus, and you got to, like, work yourself up to, to get into town but then you get out as soon as you can. Maybe you got to work in town, maybe you come to church in town, but then you book it back over the poly, over the Lique Lique, and as you go through the tunnel, you're like, shake off town. Ah, I got that off of me. Now I'm back home. I know you're not that excited about a city for eternity, but let me convince you, this city in heaven, it's going to be radically different. It's not going to have the problems that we have in the city. No crime, no pollution, no rubbish in the streets, no sirens all night, no shootings, stabbings. It's going to have none of the problems of cities, but all of the advantages of cities. What do cities have? Great architecture, culture, art, shopping centers, movie theaters, museums, restaurants, coffee houses, brew pubs. That's what you find in a city. That's what we're going to have in heaven. God's going to build this heavenly city right here on earth so everything that you love about this earth here today will still be here, but redeemed and transformed and finally made new and good. Keep going in verse 5. It says, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. See? That's the redemption of our earth, of our world taking place. He also said, Right? because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I'll freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. 
is another big thing to, to see about heaven. Number four, it's a gift. It's a gift. God says, I'll freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Almost the same exact thing as he said in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come buy, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. God just wants to share the bounty of his goodness, and there's nothing you can give him in exchange. Nothing. Because you have nothing to give. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. You just got to receive heaven as a gift. It's the only way to get to heaven. Receiving it. Now, it does take some, some active receptivity on your part. Kind of like the parable that Jesus told about the guy who found this buried treasure and he had to go and sell everything that he owned so he could buy that property and get the treasure. There, there's some activity that's required. Okay, look at what it says in verse 7. The one who conquers will inherit these things. Yeah, you're going to have to conquer. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to pursue Jesus through life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What's he saying? Every tribe, nation, and tongue will be in heaven, but not every person from every tribe, nation, and tongue will be in heaven. Only the people who conquer and endure through dependence on Jesus Christ. Keep going in verse 9. It says, Then one of the seven angels, who had held the seven bowls, filled with the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me. Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had massive high walls with 12 gates. Twelve angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes were of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations. So heaven is defined by its walls, its foundations, and its gates, even though we're going to find out in a couple minutes that the gates to heaven never close. They're always open. So these foundations and walls and gates aren't functional. They're purely decorative. Purely decorative. And what's decorating those walls. It says they're inscribed with the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. That's a symbol of all of God's people for all of history. What does that tell us? It tells us that we are shaping heaven right now. That's what it tells us. It tells us that what you do right now has an impact for all eternity. What you do right now will be inscribed in the walls of heaven. That gives a little more weight to what you do right now, doesn't it? Keep going in verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod, golden measuring rod, to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. 
He measured the city with a rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Okay, we got to do a little conversion here. 12,000 stadia is about 1,400 miles. So that's how big heaven is. It's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles square. You know how big that is? That's all of America west of the Mississippi. Huge. But that's not even it. It's not just 1,400 miles square. It also goes 1,400 miles into the air. It's a perfect cube. Lots of people have tried to figure out what that's going to look like. I've seen pictures of heaven that look kind of like, like an M.C. Escher painting. You remember those? Like paintings of all these levels with different stairs going up and down and sideways. and Just strange pictures. But I don't think we can try and create a map of the new heaven and the new earth. We can't try and create a map of this cube. What we got to do is understand the significance of the cube. Because there's only one other cube that's mentioned in all of Scripture. It's the Holy of Holies. The, the innermost sanctum of the temple where God himself dwells. The room inside the temple where nobody was allowed to go ever except for the high priest and only once a year. And when he went in to the Holy of Holies, the other priest would tie a rope around his waist so if the glory of God killed him, they could drag his dead body back out. They, they fully expected that. That's what we're talking about here. John's saying, we get to live there. That's what our home is going to be. We get to live in the Holy of Holies, closer to God than anybody has ever been. So here's the fifth thing we got to see about heaven. It's a temple. It's where we get to meet God face to face, like John's going to tell us down in verse 22, I didn't see a temple in heaven because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. There's no temple in heaven, no church in heaven, because heaven is the church. It's nonstop worship. And again, maybe you're going, ah, I don't know about that. I can barely stand an hour of worship once a week. How am I going to stand nonstop worship for all of eternity? Well, let me say this. If it's a chore for you to worship once a week, that's probably because you're not worshiping the rest of the week. You don't see your need for God. And so, therefore, you don't see the provision of God. You don't see the power of God in your life. But when you get to heaven, you will. You won't be able to avoid it. And so you won't be able to stop yourself from worshiping God for who he is, for what he's done, for what he gives. That's the point of the next few verses. Look at verse 17. John says, Then he measured the wall, 144 cubits, according to human measurement, which the angel used. And the building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. 
the 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. So there's going to be all these precious jewels, all these precious metals all around us all the time and all to point us to God's beauty, God's generosity, God's glory. Like it says in verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They'll bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. It doesn't need a sun or moon. John doesn't say there will be no sun or moon. All he says is you won't need the sun or moon because God's glory will illuminate everything. Nothing's going to be in the dark. Everything will be in the light, the light of God's glory and truth. And so here's one more thing about heaven. Number six, heaven is open. It's all out in the open. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing to hide. Everything's true. Everything's right. On this earth, everything gets darker and dirtier. And the new heaven and the new earth, everything will get brighter and better. On this earth, the sun disappears every day. Hope is intermittent. It comes and it goes. In the new heaven and the new earth, hope will be constant. The sun never goes away. Hope never fades because God's glory never fades. We all just add to the glory of God. Did you notice that? In verse 24, it said, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into God's glory, which is one more interesting thing. There's kings in heaven. Yeah, kings and governors and mayors in heaven, which tells you there's jobs in heaven, which tells you heaven is not boring, okay? I think that's the number one fear that people have about heaven. Most Christians even. You have this in the back of your head, heaven is going to be boring. No. If there's kings, mayors, council members in heaven, that means there's gardeners, teachers, plumbers in heaven. You're going to have a job in heaven. You're going to have responsibility in heaven. You're going to have stuff to do and achieve and accomplish in heaven. Like one of the parables that Jesus told about this servant who went to heaven. When he got there, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. You're doing a little on earth. Now I'm going to give you more of what you are doing here in heaven. Enter into the joy of your master. In heaven, you're still going to be doing the same things you were doing before, but you'll be doing them to a greater degree and with greater purpose and joy. Family, heaven isn't a retirement home. It is not a retirement home. It's a place where you're going to be doing more of what you already love. You'll have more responsibility and reward and fulfillment. If you're an accountant, you love numbers, guess what? You'll still be able to work with numbers in heaven. You just won't have to deal with the IRS in heaven. It's going to be wonderful. 
If you're a carpenter, you love working with wood, awesome. You'll still be able to work with wood in heaven, but you won't get splinters in your thumb and you won't shoot your toe with a nail gun in heaven. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be doing exactly what you love to do here on earth, but you'll be doing it better because you'll be doing it to the glory of God and with the power of God. That's what you've got to look forward to in heaven, family. So shouldn't that change the way you live your life here on earth? If that's what you've got in your future, shouldn't that change how you live your life in the present? I mean, if you're going to be doing your job with greater purpose and joy and power in heaven, shouldn't that change the way you do your job today? If you're going to be relating to all these different people groups in heaven, shouldn't that change the way you relate to people who are different from you today? If you're going to be face-to-face with your creator tomorrow, shouldn't that change the way you live your life in view of the creator today? I mean, in heaven, Jesus is just going to come over to your place and chill. I don't know, maybe Thursday nights for you, Wednesday mornings for me. I don't know when it's going to be. He's just going to walk in your front door. Imagine that happening today. You're in the middle of an argument with your wife. What if Jesus walked in the door? Would that change anything? You're worshiping God right here in church. What if Jesus walked in the door? Would that change anything? You're at the doctor's office. You get really bad news. You're you're full of anxiety and fear and, and, and hopelessness. What if Jesus walked in the door? Would anything change? Well, here's the reality, family. Jesus did walk through the door. He did, and he never left. He came to earth to live the life that you couldn't live and to die on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose from the grave to give you new life, and then he ascended into heaven so he could send his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Jesus walked in the door, and he never left. He's with you here in spirit. Yeah, can we praise God for that? He is here with you right now, and he's not leaving. He's with you in spirit today, and one day he's going to come to be with you in person. That's the reality that you have to look forward to. Now, what's that going to change about your life today? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, yes, we do praise you. We praise you for what we have to look forward to in heaven. I can't wait. I just can't wait to see you face to face, just to enjoy your presence. I can't wait, Lord. I can't wait to have responsibilities and accomplishments and achievements that are all driven by your grace and power and love like I've never experienced before. I can't wait. I can't wait for the worship that'll just inescapably come 
pouring out of my mouth and out of my hands and out of my life because I finally realize who you are, what you've done, how much you've given. Father, I can't wait for that day. But I need that to change my life today. There's some things in each of our lives that need to change in light of the future that we have in front of us. By the grace of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, transform us today in light of what we will have tomorrow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.